Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I Talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Just walk with your head up high. Don't be afraid. Just take it one step at a time. Don't give up on your dreams, no matter how small. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I'm your host. Today is August 1st, 2012, and I am really excited to have Stephen Slate on my show, who I got to meet in New York City um, when I was there. Um, Stephen Slate has a blog uh, addiction site called the Clean Slate Addiction Site. Um, addiction Site, sorry. And it's really nice. I, I know that you've changed it a couple of times since I've met you. Um, he is the author of the site. He was a person, is a person who had a problem with substance abuse, and he went through five years of conventional treatment and twelve-step participation without any long-term success. Uh, finally, he was uh, successful with the influences of the Saint Jude program developed by the Baldwin Research Institute. And I'm going to bring him on uh, in just a minute to where he can talk about um, all his background. But I got to meet him. And I have to say, Stephen, this, your, your new site and the way you have it laid out looks really, really fabulous. Uh, I started out a few months ago reading some of the news stories, and I want to start with this one. Uh, this comes to us, uh, this was from May 4th. 2012, uh, a federal judge on Thursday sentenced a West Branch man to more than eight years in prison for possessing more than 8,300 pictures and nearly 300 videos of child pornography. Timothy Walker, 43, was given a maximum sentence of 97 months, eight years, and one month for possession of child porn. At the federal courthouse in Cedar Rapids, Judge Linda Reed imposed a $10,000 fine uh, Wilker must register as a sex offender anywhere he lives inside the United States and must provide DNA samples to law enforcement. As a convicted felon, Wilker may no longer possess a firearm or ammunition. Wilker said he had had a long time to think sitting in jail since his September 26th arrest. I am very sorry for what I have done, he said. He said he understands now why child porn is illegal and why the penalties are so hard. I have to pay back my debt to society, he said. I've thought a lot in this last year and come around to religion, in quotes. Wilker said he is taking ministry classes and taking Alcoholics Anonymous courses. So my question is, uh, does New York General Service Office of Alcoholics Anonymous know that the sentencing is going on all over the country? and that they're also going after minors to be sitting in their meetings, and I know that he's not allowed to be next to children. Story number two is from the Daily News. Florida man who, is sexually, who sexually abuses his girlfriend's children claims he did not hurt them. This is from July 24, 2012. This is more recent. So Randolph Posdell, 67, was sentenced to 30 years in jail for the attacks which he filmed. The assaults occurred over a two-year period. A Florida man sentenced to 30 years in prison Monday for sexually abusing two young siblings 
used a perverted bit of logic to defend his behavior. Randolph Posdell told a federal court judge that he did not hurt those children hmm, who were apparently drugged into unconsciousness during the filmed attack because they don't know, in quotes, what happened. The judge and prosecutors, however, weren't buying his sick reasoning, agreeing that what he did was reprehensible, according to the Herald. The 68-year-old Posdell reportedly sponsored the children's mother in Alcoholics Anonymous and had a relationship with her from 2004 to 2006. He sexually assaulted the brother and sister, these little children, investigators said, until their mother died from an accidental drug overdose. The boy was between the ages of seven and nine during the abuse while his sister was molested when she was four to six years old. So this is a story that I will actually be calling Alcoholics Anonymous World Services about in the next couple of days. The next story is minor molested in, at AA meeting in Nashville. The date was July 23, 2012, posted by Chris Hitchcock. Nashville, Tennessee, a young woman claims she was molested while attending a substance abuse meeting in Nashville. The girl, who is a minor, told her mother, 32-year-old Jeremy Bartles, grabbed her breasts a month ago and made another attempt to touch her again on Sunday. Bartles is now charged with sexual battery and is in jail on a $20,000 bond. Last story, and this was a story that we all were following on the Stinking Thinking blogs last year. The former bank president was finally sent to prison by the South Bend Tribune, July 27, 2012, saying he had exhausted his chances to stay out of prison. A judge ordered former bank president William Peterson to two years behind bars today despite his pleas to remain in treatment for alcoholism. It has been more than four years since Peterson was accused in May of 2008 of sexually molesting a six-year-old girl. The daughter of a family friend after the child's mother found Peterson with his hand in the sleeping girl's pants. So uh, this guy was also uh, an alcoholic and a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, with that, I want to bring on somebody who has some really great non-12-step uh, approaches, and I'm going to bring on Stephen Slate. Hi, Stephen. You're live. Hi. How are you, Monica? I'm good. How are you doing? All right. Um, that was some pretty pretty heavy news items that you read there. Yeah, sorry to um, bring on such a, a dark day for news in um, in the uh, the world of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and sexual predator stories. And you know, it's not yeah. always uh, so intense, but they came in this week, and I started doing this a few months ago, and um, so I just uh, found myself. Having to read them, you know, I think it's absolutely disgusting. Yeah, well, yeah. well, it's important. People need to know that mm-hmm. that 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 is a thing, especially people with children. Mm-hmm. You know, definitely don't want to. Um, well, you should just know what you're exposing them to. I guess if you're a real big believer in it, and if you have minor children who are going to meetings, you should just go with them and don't let them get involved with anybody if you really believe. That right. There's something good to it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's interesting um, that you bring up. You know, two of the. Did you read the the thing that I sent to you? You know what? I read some of it. I'm, I'm sorry, but I had to have a, like an MRI <laughs> yesterday. I wouldn't oh have an no! MRI. Yeah, I had the MRI on Monday, so I was. You know, just a little not my normal um, self was being, you know, dealing with that. Yeah. But tell me about... Well, that's I mean, all right. Yeah, yeah. I know you're writing, and but I want to tell... Let's just say that your site is just looking... It's so different, and I know it was always good, but it's really looking awesome. And I like your picture. I like that we see your face and we see who you are. And, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Nice photograph, and uh, it was really, really nice to meet you in person and talk... And while I was in New York City, it was really fun for me. Yeah, I was so happy to meet up with you. I um, I had sort of flubbed on, like, getting back to you and everything. And then when I called and you were like, well, I don't know, I'm at the 
park, and I'm probably going. I was like, "Come on, let me come meet you now." <laughs> <laughs> and it was so. It was. It was really nice to go yeah. have coffee and then go to Italy. Yeah. Um, yeah, Italy was pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I'm everybody knew everybody to go there. Right. If you're if you're in New York, <laughs> you got to go to Italy. It's on 23rd and Broadway, right? That's where he took. Yeah. Him, right. We were in some kind of like snobby, like snobby steak place, and and Stephen was like, "Hey, you want to go uh, to this place? It's like a big marketplace and filled with Italian food." I'm like, "Let's go." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, so talk to me um, about, I mean, I'm looking at your site, and addiction is not a disease, it's a choice. You have a, a sign with powerless with a, a line drawn through it. Uh, just tell yeah. me about yeah. all of it. I um, Okay, it's thecleanslate.org for anybody who doesn't know it. And um, I, uh, you know, I have sort of as my, my little slogan on there, addiction is not a disease. I mean, that's sort of, you know, the defining message, and I, I try to just take the addiction news and things and talk about it from that perspective of mm-hmm. it not being a disease because I don't believe that. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I had at one point been introduced to that idea that addiction was a disease, and I, and I went through a lot of treatment and things and always got worse. You know, as, as with the more I was exposed to people giving me that message, the the, the worse my problems with with drugs and alcohol became. And um, and then I finally, like as you read at the beginning, it's, uh, you know, I, I went to St. Jude's and they were like, uh, it's not a disease; it's a choice. Mm-hmm. You just do it because it feels good. And well, you know, you can feel good and be happier other ways if you want. You know, basic, that's that's the message summed up, and it's an incredibly um, liberating message. Uh, and, and you know, I did so I did get over it at that point. Right, so and, when they said um, that to you, were you kind of like, did it kind of throw you and, and send you, like, open up a light or open up a door in your head when they said that to you? I was waiting for, I, I mean, personally, I was waiting for somebody to say it to me. I I had started out, I didn't really have an opinion on addiction when I sort of first, you know, I had like this, this moment where um, my brother and his wife and like a cousin did like a little sort of informal intervention with me that they put on themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, the result of that, was that I had to go see this counselor, and I told the counselor everything that I had been doing, and and um, you know, and I had like sort of I'd been using heroin pretty regularly, daily, and um, but but nasally, and um, you know, but it, then I had decided to quit for a few months to see if I could do it. Yeah, and I did, and I went back to using mm-hmm. uh, after like three months abstinent from it and uh you know when i was telling him this he sort of was like no you didn't you know he just sort of like just jumped in there and stopped me and said you didn't do that Mm. he said yeah i did i did do that you know and he said no you didn't it's impossible to quit heroin on your own and you know i I know wow i don't know how many people would hear something like this um i know i understand this is an extreme story but this is what I faced. Like he literally said, like you know, you're lying. You did not do that. You're your in brother? denial. Your brother? No, no. This is the counselor. Oh, the counselor. This is the counselor. Wow. Oh yeah. I'm in the room with the counselor alone. I know he can't tell anybody anything, and I'm telling him the entire truth because I'm honestly wondering, do I need some kind of help? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm half going there just to make my brother happy have to be like, do I need some kind of help? Yeah. And, you know, he said no. He just immediately jumped to calling me a liar. And then I said, yes, I, you know, I asserted, no, I did use heroin. I've been using heroin. And then I, I was using it daily, you know, a couple hundred dollars worth a week. And then I decided to stop and I quit for three months. I said, no, you did not. And, and, and I said, yes, I <laughs> and did. did you have and a fight? <laughs> we had a fight. And then the, sort of the next thing was, well, you must not have been using real heroin. 
was what he went to. Oh, it was the fake stuff. Oh, yeah, I was using what? fake heroin, according wow. to that. Wow. Because <laughs> it was impossible to stop on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wow. and he said I was in denial and I had a disease and I was out of control. <laughs> and the denial was part of the disease. The fact that I was saying that I quit was, you know, indicated that I had the disease, <laughs> of course, because that's, right. that's the symptom of it. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, then, I, you know, obviously... You know, I left there angry, but but the thing that I had said to him was like, I look, I do this because I like it. It makes me happy. I don't know what else makes me happier, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I went back because, you know, I realized I am in control of it. I can do it or not do it whenever I want. Right. My choice. Right. But I really love doing this, and that's why I'm doing it. And, you know, that answer, as simple and as honest, as that is somehow completely, completely rejected. And that's a, that's, that answer is laughed at. Say that I am choosing to do this. I own this. I do it because I like it. Mm-hmm. Somehow that's that's a horrible thing. Anyways, so, you know, my initial thing, belief was I can stop this whenever I want, but I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, um... I was waiting for somebody to tell me I could stop whenever because because then, you know, I got into the system with I got in trouble for drug possession and I got into the system with the courts and going to rehabs and methadone programs and AA meetings and NA meetings and cocaine anonymous meetings and, and all that stuff for like five years and wow. and um and I was just more and more beaten down and I was seeing therapists and you know, I was on all of the you know, all of those other things that they put you on and, uh, you know, for for generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, uh, chronic mm. dysthemia, uh, bipolar, uh, you know, different things. Wow. And, you know, I did all that, so I was on that roller coaster. And then I got wow. to these people and, and they said, you just do it because it makes you happy. And I was like, yes, that's true. And... You're in control, and I was like, "Thank you." Mm-hmm. I, I thank God. I, I thought I was crazy for thinking that. I forgot I used to know that, and I used to practice it. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was just powerful to be surrounded by people saying, "You're in control. You can stop this." And if you want to be happier, you can do that in other ways. And then once you sort of own it in that way, and you mm-hmm. stop, like, because you know, you think that. You, they te- you get to, when you're going through so much treatment and everything, you think that you're fragile and things are going to trigger you and, oh, everything has to work out just peachy in life, otherwise you're going to end up using. You know, it, you get this whole idea and, um, you know, it just keeps dragging you back down, you know. But, but to say, no, you know what, bad things can happen or not and I'm still in control. Uh, I can be depressed or not, and I am still in control. Mm-hmm. I can have plenty of issues with social anxiety and this and that and everything, but I'm right. still in control of whether I use or not, you know, right. Right. Um, because I just do it for happiness. And you know what? <laughs> There's maybe some better ways I can be happy. I'm going to try to do that. I don't know. That's my mm-hmm. spiel. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I really like it, you know, of all the times we talked, and I, I actually didn't know you know, this part of your story or, you know, we just didn't talk about it. So I'm really kind of blown away because I think so few people talk about um, heroin use. And, I mean, I've known people who stopped too. Uh, They just stopped. uh, You know, they were in NA, those people from the 70s that I knew in Hawaii. But I really like this story. I think that it's very, very powerful. And... You know, we joked about Thank it's you. like when I joke with Amy, I'm like, God, Amy, you just don't look like you were just slamming that liquor so hard, you know, and you were killing yourself, <laughs> drinking yourself to death. You just look so healthy now, and so do you, you know. I mean, it's not like this. Yeah. You know, you've left the yeah, boat. You know, yeah, go ahead. No, I said people all the time don't believe it because I guess I've cleaned up well. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, right. You know? 
you don't le- you don't like the persona. It's like you both left it behind. Whereas, you know, when I went to some of these young people's events in twelve step, I I have this image. Maybe I'm going to make a cartoon about it, where like there's a bucket of the past, and it's just filled with all that shit. And it's filled with like tattoos yeah. and piercings as well, and like lots of Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> and they just kind of, you know, they carry the bucket around and they just like put their hand and scoop it, and they start like lathering it on, you know. They just like, and then they throw it into their aura, like that little pig pen, you know, cartoon guy in in Charlie Brown. And <laughs> I, <laughs> with you and Amy, what are you talking about? You don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what what bucket? Well, it's it's I I mean I guess you haven't seen it, but you know when I sit with you and I sit with Amy, you know you've made a conscious choice to, you know, to move forward. You don't live in the past. Oh yeah. And there's no, you know, constant talking about it and um it's like now and and forward. And um and so what I was saying is when I went to these other events, it's like they not only want to carry that persona and aura around with them it's like they're they're carrying a bucket filled with their past it's it's so big they have to carry it around and they're just gonna it's oh. like a look okay it's almost like like when i went to the program years ago the whole thing was to let go of that you know and clean up like and yeah. look like you never went there like that's what it was about and it's not it, that's not the case in 12 stuff anymore but anyway i want to I just love listening to your story, and I think that it's empowering. So you have your blog, and I know that you were doing coaching. Are you still doing coaching? Uh, no, I'm not. Not since I started working with uh, with St. Jude's again. Okay, so. so tell me how it works now. Somebody has a problem. Somebody's listening to my show, and um, yeah. they want help. So you're in New York City, right? You have a, you have a, an office there? Yeah, I'm in there. New York City. I have a little mm-hmm. office. Uh, in Midtown, um, not far from Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky guy, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I have a little, a little office, and uh, you know, people come in there, and I teach them the St. Jude program uh, that we've been teaching at our retreats for for 22 years, um, mm-hmm. and uh, they come in two to two to three days per week. Uh, for a one-on-one class where they will have read a chapter in our textbook and done uh, some exercises and questions in the workbook, and then they come in and we discuss. Mm. You know, we discuss that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's a lot of stuff. Um, it is designed to sort of clear away all of the things that cloud the decision, uh, 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 you know, because ultimately you get down to it and substance use is real. It really comes down to a cost-benefit analysis. Is it working for me or not, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, do I have better options at my disposal? Um, But when you're trying to quit because you want to make your family happy, you don't really consider that stuff. When you're trying to quit because you feel guilty because only bad people use drugs or whatever, Mm -hmm. then you're not thinking about those things. When you're trying to quit, um, just because you're running away from the last bad consequence, um, you're not thinking about running towards something better. You know, and... And, you know, so there's a lot of different issues involved, but, like, so kind of like the first thing we do is is, is through through several lessons try to clear out, clear it out so we can just make a clear decision, and then from there we say okay, um, you know, it's a choice. Do whatever you want to do. Abstain, moderate, continue as is. You're in control. Right. It's a choice. I hope we've shown you how. You know, we, we show a lot of theory. Uh, we go through a lot of theory to, uh, of human behavior and stuff. Mm-hmm to know how and why you're in control. And, and and then we say, you know, if you want to work on moving on, and see, I feel like that's what you're talking about. Like, back in the day, you decided to move on, and you're, you're talking about, like, Amy, Coy, and myself, as, as though we look like we've moved on uh, right. from the image, right? right. From the sort of that, right. that mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And, you know, so we, we work with people on moving on, that being the next, you know, the next stage of things. Decide what you want, oh. 
if you want to make a change, we'll help you to move on. And then what? and then we end it, you know, yeah. and then it's done. You're you're with us for, you know, it depends on the schedule somebody makes, but as far as coming into my office, they would be with me for some time between six and 12 weeks, depending on the schedule. And then they're done. They they just go live their lives. And they, don't, they don't need to go to meetings or, or do anything to stay sober, you know, it's, you know, if you really if you really make a decision and you want something different, there, there's no maintenance needed, and, and and maintenance can only make you feel like a troubled person. You know, support all of that. I mean, obviously anybody can come talk to us anytime, but yeah, I mean, we will this, be supportive. Are there any? Are you guys doing any like um, PSAs or is there promotion? Do you have any signs on the subways in New York? Uh, no, I don't know what that would. Cost. I haven't even looked into it. Hey, you know what I thought you, was amazing was yeah. what you were doing, sort of hand-to-hand flyering when I met up with you. And <laughs> there was, you know, a guy, uh, definitely a, you know, some kind of got, uh, you know, drunkard or a or, or person. With the, listen to the words I'm using, drunkard. That that sounds like it comes out of the back of the big book or something. There was, there was a tipsy fellow in the street. <laughs> Does that sound like AA language? Um, <laughs> and, and no, you you had a flyer and you said, here's some other options um, if you want to try something different. And I thought that that was really cool. Thanks. Yeah, I did it with Amy too when we were in Santa Monica. But when we were in New York, when I looked in his eyes, it's it's a pretty interesting experience for me when I look at them, and I always, like, put a dollar with it just for the heck of it so that they could maybe make a phone call or for whatever reason, and I just say, here's another way, and there's this light that, you know, they just look at me, and the light comes on, and it's a really nice light shining back at me that um, someone is telling them there's a different way. And But, you know, and we can talk about this off air, but... I would find out because it's something that I really want to do, and I, I was thinking about it, that a PSA, we could do radio PSAs first, but maybe the subway, when, you, when you're sitting in the, those ones above that you're looking at, would be actually cheaper than if I do a bus, like I think I'm doing a bus bench ad in um, Hollywood uh, for yeah. safe recovery, because if they can find their way to safe recovery on Blog Talk Radio, they're going to see all of the alternatives. You know, not yeah. the other options, which is what Amy's developing, what Hank Hayes has, what you have with St. Jude's and Smart and harm reduction and a drink link moderation. So I think that, you know, we can talk definitely um, maybe if you could make a phone call and then, you know, we could talk about it. Uh, I, I would really yeah, I'm interested in, in funding it and, and finding funding it. And I think there's other people that have kids that have problems, like maybe in Nutley, New Jersey, or we could find out where there's serious heroin problems going on. And I actually know that they're going on Miami and Nutley from the work I'm doing on my blogs, that we could hook you up with some other people there. But uh, back to what you what you offer and teach. So I'm on the page that says the Clean Slate Addiction Site proudly recommends cognitive behavioral education. It's the most effective professional yeah. help available for addiction. So can you talk about this a little bit? So that is, the you know, the St. Jude program. And, you know, so we say there's no such thing as a disease, right? Right. As a disease of addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so if it's not a disease, then you don't need, a tr- you don't need treatment. Mm-hmm. Okay, like literally, you don't need like if if, if there's physical withdrawal, right? That's one thing, and and mm-hmm. we have really effective ways to deal with that in hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, but but other than that, the choice whether to keep using or not, or how excessively to use, that's not a disease. That's that's a choice. That's a freely chosen behavior. So um, we don't treat it. We teach people you know, how they can make better use of, you know, their personal power, you know, to change, to make choices, to weigh their options and all that. Um, but but we don't treat anybody. Um, and cognitive behavioral education is found, it, you know, it is, it, it shares principles with, with cognitive behavioral therapy, but it's not a therapeutic model. 
Um, so in other words, in some of the ways that like in CBT, you get walked through a bunch of situations and the consequences and the beliefs involved. And, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of work on, you know, walking through all of those and therapists sometimes proposing alternative beliefs. Um, we mm-hmm. have a textbook that teaches principles and we discuss those and then you apply them to yourself and, and you judge you know, what you would like to change uh, instead of us telling you what you need to change. And I, well, you know, well, I well let, of, me just t- let me just see who I'm talking to so people know if they're listening in. So I'm talking to Stephen Slate, and you can find yeah. him on the cleanslate.org. Uh, there is, uh, he is also working with St. Jude's, and you can call for a free consultation, 1-800-497-3086. It's, once again, it's one 800 497 Three zero eight six, and um, now is that St. Jude's or is that your number? Yeah, that would be St. Jude's. That's our reservations uh, uh, office. Now, you know what's something I wanted to talk. Are we going to have any callers? Yeah, do you want? Okay, so you want to have them call in? We can call them. Have people call in eight one eight. Yeah, if anybody wants to call in and, and talk, I, I'm going to put forward uh, something right now. If there's time for me to. Um, yeah, I want you, 818-475-9211 is the call-in number. Feel free to call in, 818-475-9211. We're talking to Stephen Slate. Okay, go ahead, Stephen. So some of the, the newest material that we're teaching um, is is about um, cultural beliefs about drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. and addiction. And... Um, you said some stuff up top. A couple, you had like four or five news items, and I know that at least two of them involved people that were engaging in an inappropriate sexual behavior, right, mm-hmm. or abusive sexual behavior, mm-hmm. and somehow managed to blame that on alcohol because now they're in AA and they're saying that this is what makes me good. I'm I'm going right. to AA now, <laughs> right? Right. right. <laughs> Um, so that means somehow, right, that the sexual behavior is excused by drinking too much or using drugs too much, mm-hmm. um, that, or they think that it does, right, that, mm-hmm. that, that somehow drinking has caused this, and if they address the drinking, they're addressing the molestation and all of that. Right. Um, you know, I, I've been looking at tons and tons of research about beliefs about alcohol around the world. And that was what was in some of the stuff that I sent you. And, like, for instance, there's a tribe in, in uh, Mongolia or, where they believe that when you drink, you let down all your sexual inhibitions, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they may be married, but they screw anybody when they get drunk. And And it's all right. Like, if you catch that your spouse is, you know, was drunk and had sex with somebody else, that's okay because they were drunk. It's accepted. Right. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I think you were telling me this when I was there, which was really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, I know this is oddball out there stuff, mm-hmm. but there's a point to it. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, they, we, they had sex with people of all ages, you know, from like 10 or 12 years old and up. You know, just anything goes kind of thing. And, uh, but they had this, like, strict policy among among these people about um, incest. And, you know, you can't sleep with somebody that's related nine generations back on your father's side, four generations back on your mother's side, mm-hmm. and it can't be an in-law two times removed. But it's just they have this really, really, uh, you know, complex thing. And so, meanwhile... So they get drunk, they screw anybody, but they don't cross the line of the incest code, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. They believe they're out of control, but they're very clearly exhibiting control in regards to this issue of incest. Interesting. And you, you find that there's another, there's another study of a, of a tribe down in Mexico. There are native... They're native to that area, but they they won't. They swap wives when they get drunk. 
you know, and they believe that that, that alcohol causes this sort of sexual behavior. Mm. And but they will never swap wives with um, with a Mexican. They'll only do it from people within the tribe. Uh, people with from within the tribe. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, they have this. They just have this. You're basically they these natives think that if you have sex with the Mexicans, that's when you get some sort of disease. Um, well. And that's the belief, and, and so you're looked down upon if you've slept with a Mexican. So they don't. Mm-hmm. You know, that happens to be their particular cultural belief. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's all sorts of examples of this. Same thing, there's examples of cultures where people believe alcohol makes you fight. Right. And they like fight in, like with crazy, Irish. But they'll I do mean, I grew up with women. Irish, right? And they were all, all like, "That's the thing. I'm drunk and Irish, and we're going to have a fist fight." And there was always a fist fight. I grew up in an Irish Catholic neighborhood. Okay, so in that yeah. culture, it's like a given that if you have a bunch of Irish guys drunk, and but you know there were a lot of Irish guys, yeah. and not everybody picked a fight, but there was one that was what he believed, and so he always had a fight with somebody. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and there's there's very much actually, I mean, as people probably heard, and I know Stanton has talked about it for a long time, like the Irish and the Italian in, in their respective countries, uh, they drink about the same amount of alcohol, but the alcohol-related problems are vastly higher among the Irish. And it just has to do with the culture around around drinking. And what we end up seeing is, is that a culture's beliefs about drinking tend to dictate people's behaviors about drinking. Um, mm-hmm. Now, that's easier to see in these little tribes, um, but then when you look at something like the United States, with 350 million people, whatever, it's maybe not so easy to see, and we have a lot of mixed-up views, but... Um, we're presenting this and we're saying now, consider the view, our view of of drinking and drugs, that there are some special people that are addicts and they're out of control and um, they if they have one drink, they're going to be off to the races and, mm-hmm. um, you know, they can't stop themselves and they're going to relapse when they experience a stressful event, uh, you know, or see a trigger or whatever it is. Is that you know is that is that valid or is that just as odd as you know it's one little culture over here that believes um, you know whatever they whatever they believe that alcohol is going to make you fight or it's going to make you have sex or whatever there there are some cultures that they don't even believe that it does either of those things right and, right. And strangely I mean, enough, yeah. when they get drunk, they don't do either of those things. They just get drunk and enjoy it, you know. Yeah, but I think that there's a real problem. We're seeing trends. At least we have reporters that are reporting. But these, the stories that I read in the beginning about the, especially the molestations of the children. We have one here, especially the one that says minor molested in AA meeting in Nashville. I mean, this is in the headline of the story. And in the rest of the stories, they're definitely all linking them to Alcoholics Anonymous, which is you have a lawyer that's saying, you know, let's use this as a way to get him out of jail. And like we see with the guy who had all the um, possession of the child pornography, uh, you know, eventually was you know sentenced to um, eight years in prison. Uh, for all this, and the guy who in Florida, this is a really recent story, who abused his girlfriend's children, was uh, actually a long-term member um, using his sponsor position. Uh, in you know, it's pretty horrific. And so I, uh, but you know, listening to you and looking at your site again, we're talking to Stephen Slate from the CleanSlate.org who is providing a service, uh, who works with heroin addicts or anyone, right? Anybody, addict or 
anyone who's an alcohol overuser. I'm not using that uh, alcoholism word anymore because I think it's way overused, and I think it's really sad <laughs> to label our teens and our youth. But um, it is. It, it's yeah, it's really sad. And he, Stephen's also working with uh, St. Jude's Retreat and has a professional program, and he's um, based out of Manhattan, and we know he's very close to that really good eatery. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, all right, so we see that what, what you believe matters, and I'll tell you that I have a real personal uh, a personal experience with this with uh, somebody in my family who believed a certain way and when I learned about these alternatives and the other options and the, and even moderation that I began to speak to my own child in a very, very different way and say, you are not powerless, you are making a choice, you do not have a disease, it was a lie what I was told, it was a lie what your father was told and that just because I can sing and that my sons have the um, they might have the gene that they have a beautiful voice or a voice, right? Mm-hmm. Does not mean that they are going to be a professional singer. They may never use that gene. And there is no, you know, alcoholic or addiction gene. And there's no studies that have been done, um, I would say, especially by um, by AA. But I really like these. I'm, I'm very, very excited about your you know your new side and what you're doing and i know that you're writing a book right you want to talk about what you're writing well i'm i'm working on the the newest edition of the saint jude program Mm -hmm. uh on revising that Mm -hmm. and um really you know making it as wonderful as it could be there's a lot of things that we teach um in the classes, at the at, at, at the retreats, and in my office, that that are not really taught within the book, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we're making it reflect all of that wonderful material. Um, for years, we've been allowing people the ability to just own it, own own your use, and say, "I just do it," and they like the feeling of it. And that's all right. It's it's like it's really really all right. We give people a chance to do that instead of because what what happens? The reason every anybody buys into powerlessness yeah. is because you have to defend doing what you like to do. Mm-hmm. And somebody comes to you and they say, "Oh, you you're what you're doing is so bad. You've got a problem and you need help to stop." Well, you want to keep doing what you're doing, you know. And it becomes more and more plausible the more you ha- you're backed into a corner of defending just doing what makes you happy, okay? You're just doing what makes you happy, and you have to defend it, and eventually, you know, you end up believing the power. Well, you know what? This allows me to do what I want to keep doing, and make get this person off my back to say I am powerless. Um, and you know that's how we end up buying into it. Sometimes, you know, we really believe it. Sometimes we lie. Um, just, you know, we just take that thing that's right in front of us. And some people are raised in a family that, that teaches them this stuff, so they, they really believe it from the beginning. I don't know, but but it's always because you're not just owning it and just saying, hey, I'm just doing what makes me happy. Now, Amy asked in the chat room, and this is from earlier on when you were first talking about why um, you used heroin, uh, but the yeah. happy effect doesn't last forever, or did it for Stephen? Yeah, does it last forever? Um, you could say happy, you could say physical sensation. Yeah, I think for as long as I was doing it, mm-hmm. um, it was giving me some sensation, some feeling. I hear a lot of people at this point where they say, you know, I don't know why I do it anymore. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I've heard that. Right. I never hear that from people who it's their their first time, you know, encountering, uh, you know, some sort of professional help. You never hear that. You never hear I don't know what I why I'm doing it from those people. Now, maybe that's a function of they haven't been doing it as long, but I think... 
um, it's a function of they haven't been fed the belief that you're doing it for no reason whatsoever. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I just think they haven't been exposed to that idea. I mean, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. What does Amy think? Does it, you know, why does she think, it, did she get to a point where it wasn't giving her any kind of positive effect? I, 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 now, I should also be clear when I'm talking about happiness, I'm saying that, you know, when you're looking for happiness out of a drug or alcohol, even escaping misery, if that's what it is, if it's mm-hmm. numbing you to misery, mm-hmm. that's still that's still better than misery. Mm-hmm. If, and if that's what you're trying to get, you're trying to get happiness, and it is providing a tiny, teeny little bit of happiness. This isn't mm-hmm. enlightenment that we're talking about. It's a cheap thrill, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think for me it actually stopped working uh, doing all of it but I had yeah. never tried to moderate or to drink um, like small amounts because, like yeah. literally, like my whole life, I didn't. I mean, except for maybe when I was really little, and we just had like a little sip or a small glass with like an Italian dinner, um, and I was mm-hmm. pretty young when that happened. But I think that um, I think Amy's typing to answer your question. Uh, if anybody wants to call oh, in. Cool. Eight one eight four seven five ninety two eleven. Eight one eight four seven five ninety two eleven to talk to Stephen Slate and myself about this. That uh, it it didn't numb the pain either for me yeah. mentally or um, emotionally, and that's when I got really really scared. Um, even if and I and how long after it? What, how long after that did you quit? Oh, right, right then. Like I only was able to. Uh, I was drinking like that for just a number of months, and you know, large amounts of straight liquor, hard liquor. Yeah. Um, and it was just, uh, and I had stopped smoking any pot because that was sort of my favorite. You know, it was the only drug that I liked was pot and drinking. And but I had never thought, well, just have a little martini. I'd never had a martini. I mean, <laughs> martini here. <laughs> so I would look at the fact that you know you're saying. Pretty quickly after you after you felt like it wasn't offering you anything, you quit. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I would say right there that that sort of favors my viewpoint. Um, right, right. Oh, here's Amy. She wrote said I think the length of time has a lot to do with it. It was always an mm-hmm. inner battle. I knew it wasn't. Wait, where did my thing go? I knew it wasn't good for me, but I understand his point. And yes, the temporary lift was a temporary improvement. So basically, yeah. When, and yeah, I'm kind of saying that because I know Amy, but um, I don't want to put any words in her mouth. So I wanted her to just answer it, uh, you know, for you because uh, I, I mean I think it's an interesting story. We uh, everybody, you know, always dramatizes um, the use of certain drugs, and I think the similarities that I see between you and you know somebody else of being given a lot of uh, the psych meds and like all the other pills. And, you know, I just met you and it just was so refreshing to talk to you and hang out with you. And we did talk for hours, you know what I mean? Like it just was so... It was fun. Yeah, it was really, really nice. Um, do you mind if I just... I see something on your front page. It said new prescription drug laws are either the worst or the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to... <laughs> You want to talk about that, or I mean, uh, it, well, I want to yeah. say one thing first. But when, when, if they were to take on your approach, you know, the billion-dollar industry would have to take that billion and maybe put it back into arts and education and math and science in our schools, rather than fighting the war on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should go to Washington and and uh, do a little uh, what do they call it when you a lobby, lobby about. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they all they do is lobby. Mm-hmm. All, the, the people who run treatment programs, they do a lot of lobbying. Any any treatment, um, what do you call them? Like conferences really? or whatever. Uh, they have these conferences, and everybody there is just lobbying to get, um, you know, things tagged on to where you know they get insurance mandates so that people. You know, so the insurance company has to have to pay for people to go to their programs because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they have a hard time getting 
voluntarily paying customers. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. so you, what is the prescription drug thing? Well, I just thought it was funny that, um, I mean, and anybody, everybody with, with a brain saw this coming a mile away, but like, you know how they reformulated Oxycontin so that it would turn into like a gel if you try to, to try to break it down because that's what people do with Oxycontin and different pills. They, they, they break them down to mm-hmm. snort or inject them. And, yeah, and, 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 yeah. and so they, yeah, they did something to it. And, and of course, I think at first some people got like abscesses and things, uh, <laughs> and, you know, from injecting it, you know, right. trying to still inject it and definitely different problems happen. And there's ways that you can break it down. I, I remember when, when I was a cocaine and heroin user and we used to inject cocaine, um, if we couldn't get powdered cocaine, we'd have to get crack and it was in a rock form. And then what do you have to do? You got to break it down somehow. So you would put, a, I think it was like uh lemon juice or vinegar to then break the crack down into something you could chew. But now of course you're shooting this other garbage into your arm. And then there's all kinds of problems from that. This is what has happened with, reformulating Oxycontin is that mm. people are still trying to use it the same way and then bad things are happening to them. But then also they're learning, okay, well, let's move away from Oxycontin and let's move on to heroin. And um, well, Maya Salovitz did a great story on it and, and, and I've got the link to it there in that piece on my site and, and she's a really wonderful writer. Um, and really oh, so honest. that's where that goes uh, to if I click on, so we're talking about or on the Clean Slate dot org yeah and on the front page the story is new prescription drug laws are either the worst or best thing ever mm. yeah on that story somewhere at the bottom of the page I've got a I've got a link to Maya's story which is really great and like I said she's a really wonderful writer the only you know mainstream writer out there on addiction worth reading at all um, in what's that, her name and she Maya Salovitz. Uh, oh yeah, I don't yeah. Know I've if heard I'm of pronouncing it correctly. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. y- you know, you you sh- you should actually get involved with her because she she's involved with that troubled teen industry uh, website, and um, you know, you, your your interests probably converge. Um, but but yeah, so so there's that. You know, there's so we know like by making oxy's harder to use. All of the people that are using oxys are just moving over to heroin, right? They're not mm. actually stopping, you know, and that is the big drug war thing. People never stop. Right. If they can't get this drug, they come up with another drug um, because they just have a desire for some sort of cheap thrill. And it's, it's, it's not the drug in particular that causes somebody to use or the availability of it. Mm-hmm. It's just the the want for that feeling, um, but mm. but now so there's some new prescription drug law in New York State where they're going to set up a, a a giant data a database to track people and figure out if they're doctor shopping and blah 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 and they think this is the greatest thing on earth. They're going to stop people from mm. you know getting a extra prescription for Percocets or what. Or whatever the deal is, you know. And I'm, to me, I'm just like, okay, well, what are going to be the unintended consequences of that, you know? Certainly wow. more of those people will go towards heroin or whatever, or maybe some of those people will knock off um, pharmacies more. Who knows? Right. But, like, we spend, it's, I guess, I try not to talk about that stuff too much, obviously, Um but, you know, legalization is an issue. Would would they just let people do what the hell they want to do? And, and, and it just, the drug war, I think, is silly, and, and all of these measures, I think, are silly. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Just You know, it just causes problems. It really does. Most of yeah. the problems people have with drugs would be non-existent if drugs were legal, in my opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. but that's, just, that's just me, and that's not my big fight. My big fight is against telling people that they're powerless, you know? Right, like right. Well, do you ever go to any of the conferences? Like, I, I somebody sent me a link because of this minor issue that was molested in a meeting in, in the headline here of the the juvenile. Let me bring it up really quick. We'll see what it was called. Uh, the um, where judges and 
you know, all these, uh, I can't believe I'm, I have to look really quick. I had so many emails. I lost my email for like about a um, conference here. And, okay, it's I haven't been to any of these conferences. Uh, my colleagues have, uh, like Michelle, who you spoke with uh, recently. You had her on the show. Michelle Dunbar, you know, right. she had told me about, you know, one of the conferences and her experience there. And, and really it was just a bunch of people lobbying uh, for how do we get more, you know, funding to give more treatment. They, yeah. they don't really so care you know, about coming up with better I mean, treatment. No, no they, but you know what I have to say? You know, you talk to a parent. It's called the National Council of Juvenile and Family Court Judges. They have a conference. I know there's another one because there's one yeah. for the judges for adults. And you're gonna, you know, some big movie star who just got sober last year is gonna was the speaker last year, and whenever it was in Anaheim. And I have a really big axe to grind because I was in AA a long time, and I know the truth about it. And so I'm a little more pissed off than maybe you or someone else who didn't spend 35 years. Um, but I think it'd be really <laughs> yeah. cool. If we had a booth where, you know, it's me and Amy and you and, um, you know, whoever else. I, I mean, I've been, I sent an email to everyone, whether it's Kenneth Anderson from Harm Reduction and um, Donna Cornette from Drink Link Moderation to you and Michelle, that if we went to a couple of these, had a booth, yeah. had all of our literature and just did exactly, like what they're doing is something different. They're asking for money. We're not asking for money because the truth is is that there's somebody there who knows a kid or has a friend who has a kid, and the AA is not working, and NA is not working. And so yeah. they're going to come over to our little booth and say, well, what's, what, what is this? And mm-hmm. I do think that, I mean, I'm going to go. I, 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 they haven't set the date. The last one was in New Orleans, and I wasn't even thinking about going. But I am going to yeah. go to this next one if I can. Uh, and I, I think that I'm just so excited about this, what you're doing and your alignment with St. Jude's and what you're writing and how the site looks. So, you know, if somebody is listening, what do what you, you know, not to wrap it up because let's see how much time we have left. We have two minutes left. So, yeah, to wrap it up, I'm going to have you on again. Let's have you on again like <laughs> This is really awesome. What would you want to say that makes you, you know, stand out? What do you love about what you're doing? Uh, what do I love about what I'm doing is that um, the people I work for have always wanted to change and make the program better. And and what I really love is we want to be totally empowering. We have just moved in such a direction of 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 not judging people and their usage at all. And and it's really totally up to them to do what makes them happiest, you know. And, and instead of me scolding you, you know, you even find it with some people they want to like, they want, they want to be accountable to you when they come to you for help and they want you to sort of say that they've been bad when they say, oh, I drank, whatever, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we have moved so far from that. No, we're not going to be your parents. You should do whatever makes you happy, and it's all right, and you should own it and love it. And, and that we've moved so far in that direction, it really catches people off guard and allows mm-hmm. them to just, to not be all complicated, to, to not be all, uh, you know, bogged down and, living up to somebody else's views and really just live for themselves and and do what really makes them happy. And and mm. I just I love the approach that we're that we're using. Do you have a phone number oh. that people can call? What's what's the number phone number? Um well any anybody can call our office uh number. I think you had it already. Um Oh okay. Is that the number that's on this site? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, so I've got call. 60 seconds left. I'll do it fast. So contact, let me uh-huh. see. You can either go to the, just go to the cleanslate.org. All the information is there. Um, I am talking to Stephen Slate and St. Jude's Retreat, and the number is, I oh, know I can't find it, um, get help now. It's a 1-800 number, and it's going away. But I am, um, I will be back in two so let weeks. Let me give you a number. It's, it's 518 
Okay, say it one more time. 518-842-2204. That's our reservations office if anybody you know, wants to find out more about the program. And, of thank course, you. you can e- email me through my site. If you ever want. All right, thank yeah. you so much, Stephen Slate, for joining me tonight. This is I'm Monica Richardson, and I will be back in two weeks. I'm uploading previous episodes every other week as I continue to make my film. Thanks so much, Stephen. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Monica, so much. All right, take care. Bye. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night.